the Swim Coach in Transit podcast. I am your host, Lucas Ferreira. In this episode, I sat down with Chuck Batchelor, who's the head coach for Bluefish Swim Club in Attleboro, Massachusetts. Chuck is probably best known for having been Elizabeth Beisel's club coach, including when she first made the U.S. Olympic team in 2008. But Chuck and Bluefish have had a long list of swimmers perform at the national and international level. And thanks to that, he's also been a frequent presence on the staff for many USA swimming teams. In fact, just a couple weeks before I recorded this intro, Chuck was announced as the head coach for the 2020 Junior Pen Packs team. Now, beyond being a great, accomplished coach, Chuck is also an all-around great guy, and I really hope this interview does some justice in highlighting that. There's no words to describe how much of a great time I had while visiting him back in October 2019, though you'll see I try to do so in the beginning of the interview. Chuck is also a great storyteller, and I guess it helps when you have a few great stories to tell. So this interview runs long, even for this podcast standards, but it was worth every minute of it. In fact, I wish I had the mic on the entire time I was there. So, here's another episode of the Swim Coaching Transit podcast with Chuck Batchelor. All right, so Chuck, first of all, thanks for, for having me and for a great time over here. Uh, great to have you. I, was, I told you I was excited when you contacted me and said you were coming out yeah it's uh if you if coaching ever gets old for you i feel like you could become a gastronomic guide yeah, of, yeah. of <laughs> providence yeah. rhode island Christy Christ and i actually um and i imagine we we might start and kind of you're doing this podcast is inspiring me to do something like this and and so Christy and i have talked about doing a blog um, and, and just starting it and not really having any idea if anybody would follow it or not. But I, do, my whole life I have, I don't know if food being important is the right word. Cause I feel like that's too important, like, but it, I enjoy it. And so even, um, you know, if, if, if we were in Chapel Hill where I went to college and, and obviously it's many years ago, many, many years ago, uh, things have changed, but, um, you know, I could still tell you like where to get the best taco and, and or at least my opinion of where to get the best taco. Right. And the best pizza and the best, uh, whatever. And, and I enjoy, um, the adventure of, of trying new places and, and, uh, get excited when there's a new, uh, restaurant opening that I've heard about or whatever. And, um, you know, I read about it a little bit, but for the most part, I try it. And, and uh, you know, we, we didn't get to do it here, but um, I discovered a, uh, Christy calls it the hut, but it's basically a food truck that's permanently placed and they built a little, almost like a shed off of it. I, it's probably three season. I don't think it's, uh, I didn't, I hadn't discovered them last winter, so I don't know what they do during the real cold months, um, but it's Venezuelan. And having a, a gluten issue, I discovered that Venezuelan do, you may know about the, the arepas. arepas. Yes, the, um, um, so it's just corn. It's masa fried into almost like a biscuit. And then they cut it and make sandwiches out of it. And it's absolutely delicious. And this little little spot is, uh, it. you know, I'll get lunch there maybe once a week. It's fantastic. Yeah. And I, uh, 
I guess a story I, I like to share out of, out of these days over here is uh, I guess two nights ago we were going out for dinner and you would rather sit at the bar because you, you wanted to be next to the, the bartender. The bar, right, the have bartender, a relationship, yeah. And you, you call them and you say, hey, it's Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. No, no, no glass name, just Chuck. Right. And, and then, oh, we would like to sit at the bar. Like, yeah, we usually don't do this, but uh, for you, yeah, we're going to do it. So uh, clearly have the, uh, enjoyed an author and have been around an author. They, uh, they welcome you and, and know who you are for, by first name, yeah. <laughs> which I thought T was... Tipping good helps, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, again, thanks. It's, it's been, I uh, had a great time. And, yeah. and, uh, and You're a wonderful guest, so you else. come anytime. Yeah. Uh, Gonna jump in a little bit to to swimming, and I I guess the first thing I like to do is uh, for you to talk a little bit of, about your path. Uh, if people that are listening still okay. don't know from swimming into coaching and kind of yeah. what got you up, up to this point or where you are today. So um, I I think my path really uh, from a coaching standpoint starts back when I was a swimmer, um, and I just. Uh, I mean, I, I loved swimming. I, I started competitive swimming when I was like eight. My mother um, kind of helped me get into the sport because I was having some trouble in school, some learning disabilities, and I'd already, just like in the backyard pool, could beat my grandfather, right? <laughs> so uh, it, it seemed like maybe swimming was something that, and I was not much of a, a ball sport, right? Like uh, eye-hand coordination was not fantastic. Not. I mean, I, I was the one, you know, hoping to be put in outfield and then hoping the ball didn't come to me. <laughs> so uh, baseball was, was not my thing. Um, and so my, my mother, you know, I thank her very much for this. She wanted to find something I was good at, that I could be good at, and, and uh, swimming uh, became that. And my, my father taught me um, kind of the importance and value of working hard and taught me at a young age that if I wanted to go faster tomorrow than I did today, I had to work harder tomorrow than I did yesterday. And, and so I kind of bought into that and it, it worked very well. Um, and uh, through my swimming, um, I was lucky to, to have my first coach, John Levine, was, was a, an amazing, fantastic, creative coach. Um, he was kind of in an isolated situation, but he was coming up with some ideas that only the very top coaches around the world were doing. And, and he was coming up with these ideas on his own. And I was kind of in tune enough to recognize that some of what we were doing was unique and special and thought that was pretty cool. And then I uh, was fortunate enough to get connected with Chris Martin and, and followed him to the Petty School. And there, hanging out with Chris, you know, we'd be on a school break or um, – maybe a weekend even and and uh you know a couple hours before practice hanging out in his apartment watching a movie or watching tv or something and then he would say um you know he would just look at me and there might be three or four other kids in the room but he would look at me and say what do you want to do for practice today and i loved and i was and i guess he t t picked me because i wasn't going to just come up with you know just, play games yeah. or, or or something <laughs> and uh so i really and in essence, I kind of wrote a very similar practice to what he probably would have written because I also was would pride myself in being in able to anticipate what today was going to be like from a pattern that I had seen over the last couple of weeks and stuff. So that was fun. And then and, and Chris was coaching me in, in every aspect of life, not just swimming. 
and just him uh, uh, approving of the set that I would come up with for today's practice made me feel so good. So it, it became, you know, then I might even approach him with, uh, you know, what do you think of this today or something? And and not for a second that he was, you know, just doing my practices. That, <laughs> that's not the case at all. Um, but uh, it was just a neat relationship. Um, and I, there was one moment when I kind of came to a conclusion about a teammate and Chris was clearly impressed with my connection of that. I don't remember what it was, but it was probably about Nelson or Roy Sharp or someone pretty significant. And uh, so kind of from that point on, I kind of thought that I would be a swim coach. And and then even in college with Dan Flack. So again, I mean, I, I mean, how lucky can you get this guy, John Levine, who, you know, he's had several junior team kids and, and really developed a lot of, he developed Mike Ross, uh, this guy, David Sarkowski, who, scored at NC2A so this tiny little club in Connecticut these kids were going on and doing some pretty good stuff and then obviously Chris Martin an Olympic coach international coach you know FINA pays him to go around the world and and talk to other coaches and stuff so I had that influence and Dick Schulberg through Chris and then my own relationship with Schulberg and then in college Dan Flack is my coach and this was Dan's very beginning of his career he had just graduated from UNC um, and a similar kind of relationship where I might show up early to practice one day and Dan would kind of, uh, you know, nudge me and be like, what are we doing for practice today? <laughs> and, and it, you know, and again, it, obviously I was not coaching Dan's group by any, any stretch, but I, I felt like I had a little say in it. And, and my swimming didn't progress the way I wanted it to, but I felt like I did have some influence on some of my teammates being successful. And that was, uh, pretty special for me and um and basically my college my swimming career ended um not on a high note my uh, I'm kind of embarrassed to say publicly but my my last year of swimming when I kind of realized I was never going to be as good as I wanted to be I I fell out of love with my own swimming and probably spent a year kind of uh just going through the motions rather than the first time in my life not being passionate about it and I ended up swimming just as well at the end, which was very puzzling to me and frustrating um, that I kind of half-assed it that last year and yet still kind of had the same times I'd had. So I, I'm still not completely sure what that all means, but um, I took a couple years off from swimming because that last year did not have a great taste in my uh, being and uh, was uh, basically a starving artist in Seattle for three or four years, but then missed swimming and missed, missed kind of the structure and, and the, the way it organized my life. Because uh, without it, I was pretty <laughs> disorganized. I mean, I'm disorganized anyway, but really disorganized without swimming. And so I thought, okay, well, I, I'll let me give coaching a try. I moved back east, got a, uh, a high school job in Western Mass, uh, a four-lane pool. It's funny that I'm now back in a four-lane pool. Um and I just I loved it, and the the, the group the, the group I started out with uh, the best swimmer on the team day one was uh, seven thirteen in the five hundred free, uh, seventh or I think an eighth grade girl, and I think she got down to like five fifty that first season, which is still not real fast, but a but heck of a significant improvement. Yeah. Um, 
anyway, it was just fun. And God, did I make those kids swim a lot? Like, they, it, <laughs> they and they had to swim for a long time because they were slow, so they couldn't get a lot done in a short period of time. So that and uh, then I went got got uh, very lucky with my history and connections with the Petty School. I mean, I certainly didn't have the resume to land the Petty job, and I didn't get it the first time around. But uh, they called me up in the spring because they. The previous hire didn't work out, and they were in a bind, and and they brought me down, and I that that had good and bad. The the living on campus and and dorm duty and and some of those things at my age and where I was in my life was very difficult, but the concept of of being able to work with kids that were living on campus year round was a ton of work, but it was an awesome opportunity, and. Left there, again, kind of disillusioned with swimming and coaching. Took a job in, in Massachusetts. I was getting my real estate license, and, and my, my mother had a real estate company, and I was going to do that and probably make a lot more money. But um, I had to do I had to get a job, and I, I could coach, so I took this job, and it was, again, pretty, pretty low-key type of a, a team. But I just completely fell in love with with coaching and the relationships I was building with these kids and their families, and stayed there I think maybe four years, and then had the opportunity to buy Bluefish, and it's just you know ever since that's that's the path. Um, so never, never I I took the real estate class, but never took the exam. <laughs> I, I, I once I was coaching, I was like I don't need this. That's uh, pretty awesome story and obviously bluefish then great success uh we're gonna talk I, at some point i'm gonna bring in elizabeth Bizo sure. for sure uh but <laughs> <Who>? that <laughs> i guess i was gonna say later yeah. but uh we i i was lucky to be last night and uh i'm gonna say if, if you ever saw her and and thought her personality is great she's way way better yeah. in person to, yeah. just it, phenomenal person to, yeah. to me But Bluefish is not just Elizabeth Weiser. You've had great success year after year after year with uh, kids on, on uh, junior teams and, and national teams and, and other things. And correct me if I'm wrong, you also get a lot of your kids that uh, graduate and go to college still come back and train with you through a lot of their, their college years, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which shows that they, they do respect everything that's happening here. Yeah, and I feel very uh, fortunate for that too, that yeah. they uh, value coming back because it's... It, It may be a good thing for them, but it's a great thing for us to have them come back. Right. And, uh, um, so, yeah, anyway, so uh, great success up to this point. Do you, uh, besides the, the three coaches you mentioned that you swam for, were there any other mentors that you would name along the way? Or uh, absolutely. Or? And, and it, you know, here I run the risk of not naming everyone, um, but very significantly, although it's been, you know, more in the, um the last i guess now fish 12 years or so but but uh greg troy so really long before elizabeth was even recruitable um actually a uh, little story there where um i'd probably met greg i saw him speak uh was very impressed with that and everything that i knew about him um and uh before elizabeth had made the olympics so a year prior Was a was a rough year uh, for for a couple reasons. It was actually the first time in her entire life that her two and her backstroke didn't improve, and and so there there was there was other improvement. Her four and her IM dropped ten seconds, but the two and her back was stagnant. Um, 
and I hadn't done a very good job at preparing her or her family that that might happen. Um, and, you know, we all know that have coached age group and then senior, it, it's very age different. Age group kids, every time they swim, they get faster often. Um, yeah. And uh, so this, this was a, a very stressful time for me, for Elizabeth and her family, and, and kind of trying to figure out, is this still working? Um, you know, this is the first time she hasn't improved, and it was – uh, the second complete year that I had been her sole coach, right? So not not a great thing to happen, especially if you're not thinking it might happen or could happen. And um, all of my friends um, were patting me on the back and saying it's okay. And and you know I was there feeling sorry for myself, and and they were um, supporting me in allowing me to feel sorry for myself, Ena- basically, enabling, enabling me, right, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know how it came to be, but I ended up sharing the story with Greg and probably looking for his sympathy as well, and uh, he turned around and, and looked at me uh, eye to eye and said, well, what's happening here is you're reacting to the situation, and you need to be proactive, and he explained to me that every great swimmer that he had had uh, after they kind of made their breakthrough swim, which would have been Elizabeth making Pan Packs and Worlds the year prior, was he would sit down, the athlete and the parents, and say, at some point over the next however many more years we're going to work together, there's going to be a year that's going to be a disaster. And and Greg explained it that, you know, one of two things will happen. Uh, they will have that bad year, which is probably probable, and everyone will be okay because you told them that this may happen and we got to be prepared for it. Or they will keep swimming great and no one will care that you ever said they might not because they're still swimming great. Um, and at the time, I was uh, a little angry with Greg because he wasn't giving me the, yeah, the sympathy, sympathy. <laughs> I, was, I was looking for. But in reality, he was my best friend at the time because he was honest with me and, and helped me uh, you know, be a better which, – which very well could be the pivotal moment of – how Elizabeth was able to stay with me and continue to be successful. It certainly was very bad. And I remember that now all the time. That's great. Uh, thanks for sharing the story. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, I guess in conversation with you, you, uh, and since Elizabeth went to college and swam for, for Greg Troy, you mentioned uh, you would, always like bounce ideas out of him and get, get things uh, curious. Where else do you go to learn besides other coaches or other people I, that, I mean, I, um, I mean, I steal is a bad word really, but, but I mean, I, I take from everywhere and, and everything. Um, and there's different periods of time probably having to do with my kind of, uh, mental state at that particular moment but there there's times where I'm on the internet all the time seeing new things and we we talked about it at practice today a little bit flow swimming was amazing for getting I mean, it's funny because there's other things and and this I think will be very valuable and there's a lot of things out there but there was something about flow swimming that at least for me it was so easy, and 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 you looked forward to the next episode, and each one was as good as the last or better. 
Um, and it, and it was showing stuff that was way outside of my wheelhouse. And yet it was really, really valuable stuff. Um, and so much of what we do today actually still goes back to some of the things that I saw at different times on flow swimming. Um, I, I, Garrett, I think is a wonderful coach and a just tremendous human being. I wish he was still doing yeah. that. <laughs> So good at that. Yeah, it so was. Good. I mean, I, I it, it 100% agree. I think it was, uh, it was probably one of the main drivers behind behind me going into swimming, full, yeah. swim coaching full time because yep. it was right around that time that I was debating what to do, and that was so exciting. Swimming was so excited around that time. Yeah. Uh, Cl- clinics too. I um, I was fortunate enough to uh, hear Ernie McLeisco speak um, years ago, and the particular talk that he gave at that time was, was a lot of nuts and bolts, but he was explaining what different energy systems were going to be hit by different types of sets. And it was something that I knew nothing about and didn't think about. I'd had a little bit of success already coaching, but it was my only kind of mode of operation was what I had done to me, whatever conversations I had with my coaches and basically just trying to challenge the athletes more today than I did yesterday. So I, I at least knew enough to ramp up and, and kind of, you know, not just throw them with a random hard set that out of the blue. So it was prepare for it and then do the set. But um, Ernie kind of like helped me understand, actually take a look at what I was doing that was working and take a look at what I was doing that was really of no, not as much value and, and change some things. Um, and, you know, now I've, I've had, you know, just so many wonderful opportunities that a lot of it stemmed from Elizabeth's success and my success with her um, being on staffs with different coaches and, and, you know, having the time, you know, sitting on a bus for six hours with Dave Marsh. Well, we talked about a lot of things, not just swimming, but you're going to talk about some swimming and and gets, and and then you're talking with Dave Marsh and um, I'm drawing a blank on names, but, but any number of other coaches are chiming into these conversations and then uh, junior team stuff. And, and Jack, uh, I mean, Mitch is doing a phenomenal job. Uh, Jack kind of set things in motion and, and Jack was insistent that the coaches um, get up at like four in the morning, which, you know, Jack doesn't <laughs> sleep and he runs a million miles a day. But, a, in, but in case people don't know, Jack Roach. Jack right? Roach, yeah. yes, yes. Um, but uh, he would have all the staff coaches for a junior team camp get up at, at crazy early hour <laughs> and share with each other for a couple hours each morning before we – and we wouldn't even talk about the camp. We were just – talking about coaching and what we did and what they did and what we think. And, uh, and again, so like, you know, it's so valuable, um, cause you're, you're meeting with people that you probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to, to that, have that kind of experience with. Um, so I, I mean, most of my knowledge is either stolen or luck, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, every now and then I'll come up with something. I'm, I feel like I was creative and it was a good idea, but usually it's, it's a it's a spin-off of something else. Something that you've seen, yeah. yeah. It's funny you mentioned that story about uh Jack Roach. I I was lucky when I was trying to set up a camping back camp in Georgia. Yep. I I got in touch with him and he was very helpful, gave me lots of ideas and uh him and Mitch Dalton also. Mitch was yeah. the other name that you mentioned that's yep. now now in, in, in that role. 
And they both mentioned like, look, everything you do in the camp is great and the training is going to be good. But the most important thing is that those kids understand they're part of something bigger and the coaches understand that they're part of something bigger. And, and what you do outside of the water during those times is going to be far more valuable yeah. for everybody involved than what you're doing training wise. And, and that's really training. powerful stuff that, yeah. that you don't realize until you're in that situation. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, I, I've never been to a camp on that level, but having been to some zone select camps and whatnot, I can vouch that that's some like, for me, it was been some of the it's huge. best learning. And, it's, and sometimes some of those kids, like that's what keeps them swimming. Right. Right. Yeah. They, that once they kind of make like, they're, they're very good obviously to make that point And then, to go beyond, it's it's the fact that they recognize that they're part of something much bigger than they right. are, yeah. and bigger than their club is, and you know, and, and it's pretty cool. Yes, uh, is, is there? Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned Maglishko, and some people I, I asked other people about books, and everybody kind of mentioned. I don't know if you ever read his book or I have it, um, and I've certain I haven't read it cover to cover, right. but I I go through it, um, you know, especially if it's uh, you know you know, writer's block, right? Like, so you just open that up and just read through some, some pages and different things and get yeah, some great some ideas. ideas. Is there any other books, swimming related or not swimming related, that you can think of that? Um, be, I, I shared with you the, uh, well, actually, I said earlier here, with uh, learning disability, um, I'm not proud, I'm not proud to say that I'm, I'm not an avid reader. Um, I mean, I read, and but I, I'm more apt to read uh articles and things than in than an entire book so to speak or if i can get the book on tape then that's then i'm in heaven but um i i I think more of my learning and and coming up with stuff is talking to people i'm never afraid to ask you know questions um and then i i i i treat my artwork my cooking and my coaching basically all the same where i am you know i'll be out at a restaurant and i'll have something that i really enjoy and then the next day I'll try to recreate it at home, but I'll, but I'll, I'd, I'd like it even spicier or I'd like it, you know, with this versus that or something like that. And so again, like, um, uh, I showed you one of the kind of main types of sets that we do now that seventy five twenty five. well, Dan Flack does the seventy five twenty five, and I took that and then added, uh, 125, 75. I mean, I'm not, you know, discovering America with that, but, but well, you're, the, I'm, I'm tweaking it, yeah. making it my own more, and then putting in, you know, 650s with t shirts on, butterfly in between every three rounds or something like that. So um, it, it came from Dan and I spiced it up a little bit yeah. or, or and, whatever. And, and it became your own. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's like a chef. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, do you have any, uh, favorite quote-unquote failure stories so stories that things didn't go according to plan but help teach you a lesson mm. or help set up success in the future and, and I'm, i probably will ask this question uh between you or from you and then more specifically with regards to uh, some of the elizabeth's Elizabeth. development yeah so I, I that's a great question and and i it i yes i have to have but i'm actually the moment nothing specifically is coming to mind um and i'm sure there's been a ton and and i uh probably from my father i i tend to have the ability to see the good see the bright side of most situations and most things um so i'm sure there's been a ton of failures that have turned positive but but even certainly the the that that year with elizabeth 
and and you know honestly would have if I had thought to have prepared her and the family that she might fail in the 200 backstroke this year, um, I was afraid to have that conversation with them, really, honestly. And I, I'm not proud to say that, but I was, um, I, I saw it coming, but, you know, almost like didn't want to say anything because what if that just makes sure it happens, right? Yeah, right? Just... I didn't want to it solidify it. And, and what if what if I say it to them and they're angry with me that I'm saying this, you yeah. know, three weeks out from the meet or something? Um, but, uh, so, so that, that was a failure, but I think it did turn to be a positive thing. And certainly for future athletes to be able to prepare them more for that, this may not go the way you want it to at this moment. Um, and this is what, you know, but then you kind of have to have a solution and a plan so that it doesn't continue to happen. Right. But it, 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 I've, I have often found, so you, you've witnessed that we've now been, forced to go from an eight lane pool with lots of deck space and and a fair amount of control over the space although less so in the latter years but um but really a pretty decent situation certainly a decent situation for the northeast and now we're in a four lane y pool and we're having to do back to and there's a lot of new challenges but i even when i'm kind of like in my own head like oh man you know i've been doing this a long time i've had a lot of success and back this is where I am. Yeah, pool. back to four lane yeah. pool, right? Um, but I also I know for a fact that the best coaching I've done is when obstacles have been thrown my way and I've had to be creative and figure out a way around it. It's not easy, it's not pleasant while you're going through it, but it's it's where the really good stuff came. And then I then you almost forget about the hard time because you keep doing the really good stuff, but that you were forced to figure out back then. And you know, we, we do stay you, you saw us do yeah. some stations and it was a successful day. We do it a lot, and I think some of that came you know, initially it came from like, oh, I, I wanna use this piece of equipment with thirty kids, but crap, these are expensive and I don't have any money. I, I can maybe buy three or four of them. And then realizing, well, I can, I, everyone can get a turn on it if we do it in a station fashion. So that was really the the way that I started doing station work was because I couldn't afford, you know, let, let's say it was pulling. Like, I, I can't afford paddles for everybody. But there were times <laughs> that it was really tight, right? Like, yeah. I was, my, my payment was groceries from, or, or, or people, uh, produce from their garden because they couldn't afford to pay to swim. So I couldn't, they couldn't pay me. So I'm, I'm, and I wanted them to swim. So I'm taking, you know, tomatoes <laughs> and, and so, yeah, we couldn't afford paddles. So we'll do a station where, you know, six of you are wearing paddles now and six later and whatever, but it uh, was a roundabout way of not really answering yeah. your question. <laughs> uh, that's, I mean, it's still a uh, fa fair point. Uh, I don't know if you don't mind sharing one of the stories you told me which might not be a, a huge failure or not, but I thought it was a pretty cool story. Uh, I think you mentioned it was Elizabeth's first 800 in a, in a uh, yes, meet. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's which, a good story. No, yeah. no, if you don't mind yeah, sharing that. Sure. Again. <laughs> yeah. So, um, this was, uh, so I started coaching Elizabeth in September of 2005, which is when we bought bluefish and, uh, we went to the U S open in, I think it was in Auburn, 
but I'm not sure that doesn't really matter. But we U.S. Open was in December, the old kind of schedule, and um, to, to Elizabeth, she was 13. Uh, in September, she was just 13, and I had had her doing things that she was not yet comfortable doing. Uh, longer swims, a lot of uh, backstraps, so backstroke with a band on her feet, um, just a handful of things that she wasn't yet good at, didn't like, and was really hard, was making her sore. But so when we got to this meet in December, in her mind, she she had experienced things that were unpleasant since September, and this she was going to swim fast. She was ready to go, and, and she was definitely always a game day racer get up for the race I, I i don't believe i ever saw her in a race certainly not the career that she had during high school never mailed it in Every, everything was a hundred percent honest effort and which was delightful and un, yeah. you know unrealistic almost right <laughs> um but uh so the 800 is the first event and she is seated eighth so she's in the top heat at finals and she dives in and she's winning, but she's, she's, she's a far eighth from people like Kate Ziegler and, and stuff who were top seed. Uh, Katie Hoff might've been in that heat. I'm not sure. And, um, she's winning at the 50. She's still winning at the hundred, but they're starting to creep up. And, and as it panned out, she literally went half a second slower every single 50 to the very last 50. <laughs> and so she went from first to dead last, to then not even quite getting a best time. However, she probably was at a best time at the 400. And um, after the race, and I, I was still thinking of her as the age and maturity level of the swimmer she was and and really losing sight of the fact that she was a kid. And and in that case, like it, a kid, probably bright-eyed. Yes, with, in yes. The, the big set. And... and uh, um, she uh, came up to me after the, and I was like, "What the hell was that?" And and she she looked at me. And she's like, "It felt so good." <laughs> and and she, you know, she could tell that she was excited. And she just went for it, which you can't fault her for that. But the the really funny thing was uh, Ray Benecki, who I'd never met before. But this was the first time I met him. Uh, he literally came running over so excited so enthusiastic i was only at that moment putting two and two together that he was kate's coach and he thought that we had done that on purpose and that we were taking a page out of his playbook and he shared with me that in kate's development he had approached it with her where you know when she first was up against the top people and she was kind of breaking into that level and and but yet was a young kid and he said look you know you can keep up with them for a 50. Keep up with them for a 50, and then who cares? And then the next time, 100, and the next time, a 150. And and I thought, what a what an awesome way to approach it, especially with a kid. Um, and But no, that's not what we were doing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I also think, uh, in that story, awesome for you that at first thing that she's not executing a race plan that you had in mind. Right, right. Uh, but, uh, it was, a, it was, I had to force her about a year later, and I'll tell that in a second, to, to have a race plan. Because up in, she just went all out. And so all of her races were basically a crash and burn. Okay. But she was, especially in the age group level, right, against kids her own age, she was so far 
ahead of them, you wouldn't notice that that's the way, unless you were actually had a watch on her and getting her tempos and whatnot. But um, about a year later, it was crystal clear that she couldn't keep swimming the 200 back that way. And I would ask her what was her, like how she went about it. What was her plan for racing? And it might not have even been a full, it might've been like a half year later, but, um, and, and she would, she would, it, to her, it would have been wrong to not go all out <laughs> right from the get go. Yeah. And, and with that, you know, that, that's very admirable and it hurts, right? Like oh, yeah, some yeah. It's a significant painful way to swim any race. <laughs> and, and, uh, but, but that's what she would do. And it was, it was to her the only thing that made sense. And, and it was, I actually try to get kids to buy into that. And it's, it's for Elizabeth, it was like showing up to the playground, meeting a couple of friends and, and then just saying, Hey, we're standing by this tree. I'll race you to that tree. And there was no running training. There was no plan. There was just, Hey guys, this sounds like fun. Let's, let's see who can get to that tree. And, and it wasn't even win or lose was not necessarily that it was just the joy of going all out as fast as you could to that other tree. And so I, I, um, in trying to get her to start to swim smarter, right. And ha actually have a plan. I took her to a, a, a pretty low level meet for her and I, and just took her to, so she, her mom and I went to this meet out in Western mass. And, um, I think we had other kids in the meet, like little kids, but none of her peers were there. And, uh, I said, look, you cannot be winning at the hundred of this 200 back. So she wasn't really ready to have a time to be at the hundred. So I, you know, I looked at the, at the heat sheet and, um, you know, there she is. She'd already been, I think two fifteen in the 200 back and the, probably the, the next fastest person was maybe two twenty five or something like that. And maybe even slower. And, I said, you, you cannot be first at the hundred. And, and she refused and said, you can't, you know, little kid, she said, you can't make me do that. And I said, well, actually I can. And at least at this point I was smart enough to get mom on board that this is what we were going there for. And this was the, like nothing else mattered. And, and to Elizabeth too, she couldn't comprehend being at a meet and not swimming all of her oh. events. Right. Like she was never trying to get out of something. She wanted to do everything and thought, you know, rules that said you can only swim three events on a trials finals day was just BS. Like, who, who are you to tell me I can only swim three things? Um, so I literally had to walk her over to the scratch desk and and go through the, you know, the theatrics of pulling her from the race <laughs> and her saying, you can't, you can't. And I was like, I just did. And and OK, and then she agreed that she would do it. And so she was dead even with the second place person at the hundred. And I'm trying to remember the splits because she ended up going a best time. She ended up going 214. And I think she was like, like 209, 205, or 109, 105. And, and, the, and, and it was like insane to watch that it was like a caged animal released on that second hundred. And she just went ballistic. <laughs> and, and so there she is getting a best time which was thrilling at a meet that was not supposed to be a best time for her 
and it didn't hurt the way all the other 200 backstrokes had hurt. So now she was she bought into now that. Then then years later to get her to go a little more aggressive on the front end was really difficult because she had gotten so good at swimming a pretty fast but easy for her first hundred and then just killing people on the second hundred, which was fun. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Another good story. Um, I'm gonna uh, move on for a little bit, but yeah, that uh, couple couple great stories on on, on Elizabeth there, and I'm sure, I'm sure there there yeah, are more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, How many days do you have? <laughs> <laughs> what What would you say was uh, the your best career decision up to this point? Mm. Um, and, and that this can span from swimming to before swimming or or whatnot. I, and I've I've given people top three. So if you want to take top three, uh... I'm not even sure. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure any of my decisions were good career decisions uh, in a way. Um, but the ability to make it be a good decision once it, the decision is made. Um, I mean, I've had many over the years many opportunities to move on to some pretty historic big big name clubs. Um, and I haven't, and, and quite honestly, I'm not sure that not taking some of those jobs was a good career move. Um, but I also, you know, the, some of the people that I really, really respect, it's not because of this, but it just so happens there are people that have stayed where they were for a long time. And I'm not at all putting down anyone that has moved from, you know, parlayed a success to another success kind of thing. Um, but that, for for my personality, I mean, the hardest thing for me ever is to leave a group of kids. And and the reality is, I mean, that we all know, uh, you know, one, they go to college and they move on every year, a group of kids do, which, which should happen. That's right. That's correct. Um, but I just, uh, I have a really hard time doing that. And, and, you know, with, with bluefish, especially um, it's, it's Christie's and mine. So that's, if it was just mine, that would be really valuable. But the fact that it's my wife's and mine and that we, we got married, I think. Yeah. We got married literally a year before we bought the team. So we were newlyweds when we bought the team. So everything has been together um, and you know, we love where we live. Uh, we, we love the families, the, the, the kind of the, that Northeast New England attitude or mindset or whatever it is that, that that's home to me. Um, you know, so career move, I don't know, but, but there's also, um, you know, having it be ours is so in terms of what we consider success, I mean, that's huge. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, I I've been here a long time now. I haven't had yeah, that. that. So, so I guess the best career move was buying Bluefish. Okay, that yeah. for sure. And and um, you, you know, it's interesting. It it literally had nothing to do with Elizabeth being here. Um, and in fact, the first um, couple of months, it was potential that she wasn't going to stay. And actually, this uh, Josh Stern, who was down the street and had already coached Eric Vent, and he and I were in high school together at Petty and and life lifetime friends. 
um, Elizabeth would, and and he was at the old brown pool, which was 50 meters. So they had a lot more access to 50 meter than we did. And uh, Josh actually said to them, Joni and and Elizabeth, ba- you know, basically his at- mindset and attitude was, look, I'd I'd love to coach Elizabeth, and I think we could do great things together. But you've been over there and not with me already for two years, and now you've got a really good coach coming in, and now you're going to come to me. So it was he, he really. Uh, I mean, that talk about a friend, right? And and. And just an, a guy with integrity, and and I don't think too many other people would not have really jumped Jump at the chance to yeah. to pull her over, um, and uh, but but just being able to own and run the team and run meets and come up with T-shirt ideas and and schedules and all that kind of stuff that that was the career move that for me that was allowed us to do what we've done. Okay. Um, uh... You mentioned Christy a couple of times, and I feel like it's fair to, to uh, bring her uh, into the conversation yeah. a little bit. Christy, your wife, as, yep. as you mentioned, and she's also a coach. Yep. Does a phenomenal job, too. Uh, this time yep. around, I didn't see her coach, but last time. Yeah. Actually, Great. she was talking about a set, the 3050s she was talking about yeah. the other day. Uh, it's a set that I took back from, from, yeah. from the previous time I was here. And with that, which... If I understand correctly, he's also said that she stole it, quote right, unquote. Right, I think and Craig Troy was doing yeah. it. Yeah, and uh, so anyway, always does a fantastic job and and, and uh, does a lot of the running of the club. If I understand correctly, yes, the, yeah, yeah, um, and um, and it's it's hard and it's thankless, right? I mean, it's it's uh, a little bit less now, but for years, every complaint, every negative, every angry situation like went directly to her and <laughs> and so just years of that w- was very very difficult and then um but but a phenomenal coach uh phenomenal person i mean i'm biased but <laughs> but a lot of people think so not just me but it, it's actually um one of the kind of moments you know so i was a, a potentially a uh a lifelong bachelor right most of my friends didn't think i was ever going to get married um, and my last name being Bachelor, so no, no <laughs> pun intended there, or actually yes intended. But um, she and I were we had just started dating, and we were talking on the phone, and she was at – we were actually both working for the same owner of the New England Barracudas, but not seeing each other because we were at different sites, and she was kind of building a lesson program and a, and a, a big, very beginning swim uh, location – uh, competitive swimming location and we're we're on the phone and she's in the little office over there and some like five or six year old kid came into the office with their mom and the way Christy talked to this five or six year old and I could hear a little bit of what he it was a boy what he was saying but I could hear everything that she was saying and that it was like that was kind of what I fell in love with or part of and and I was kind of blown away that she, she talked to this kid like an adult but was very logical she there was no sarcasm and and she kind of led this kid this very young kid to the conclusion that she wanted them to come to and I was just so impressed and surprised because I was even afraid to sometimes be that honest with teenagers, let alone 
eight a five or six year old or eight year old or whatever it was. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty cool. So we, we learned from each other. Um, I mean, I, 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 people that know, know how lucky I am. Right. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, <I'm... laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's good. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think she's half as lucky, but I'm not even sure that's correct. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if you, if you could go back, um, to yourself as a starting coach, is there any advice you would, you would give yourself, uh, back at that point? So being that I left swimming, even though I had thought I would be a coach, but that last year of swimming in college, I kind of wanted to be done with it completely. So I had a fifth year at UNC. I net, did not go to the pool. Um, I barely even saw my swimmer friends because they were involved in swimmery things and I was done. Um, so uh, that period of time, there were some really awesome opportunities that I did not experience that I could have. So for example, actually it happened to be 1992 when Chris Martin had Roy Sharp and Nelson Diebel break American records at, at 92 trials and go to the Olympics. And then of course, Nelson winning the gold medal. And I had full opportunity to be right there, you know, not even on the sidelines, be right there that whole year. And because I wanted nothing to do with swimming, I, I, I talked to Nelson on the phone and I talked to Chris on the phone, but probably not even about swimming. Nelson having been my roommate and, and a dear friend and, and Chris being a friend and mentor. Um, but so I, I felt like I missed out. Like, I feel like I f- kind of get it now what they did, but it would have been really helpful to have actually witnessed and lived through that. I think that would have even catapulted my career more quickly. And, and, and actually this is interesting. So I, I, there's, there's a particular coach that if I could go, and, that, and actually now there's a lot of coaches, Bill Rose and some other people, but uh, John Collins is a coach that um, if I were to go back in time and be graduating from college and at that moment knowing I was going to be a career swim coach, I think the first thing I would have tried to do was go uh, you know, volunteer with John or, or work for John or whatever for a year or two. And, and, uh, um, and I, I, part of that is I know him and I, and I think he's just an, just an amazing person, right? Just so interesting and smart and, and, uh, has a unique way of looking at certain things. I mean, even today, sometimes, um, I'll be frustrated with the direction USA Swimming's going, or or something is going, or whatever. Um, I remember even back with the body suits, he had a really unique, I think, healthy way of kind of you know. So many of us were against it, right? But it's like, well, too bad they're here. Best yeah. make make good use of it because they're here. Um, he just had a really, and I've learned a lot. And I think, but I have no idea how he does the day to day. And I think that would be kind of interesting to go back in time and do that. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, and I, I might know the answer to some of the questions that I'm asking, but I, <laughs> the idea is to share. <laughs> do you have a particular routine day to day? Do you have something your day kind of looks like about the same? Yeah, yeah pretty much. Um, and y- y- being, ha- having done it for a long time and 
you know, being my own boss, so to speak, my day to day can really be anything I want it to be, which is good and bad, right? Like at times <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a little more structure might be beneficial. Um, but, but it, you know, for example, like, uh, I remember talking to some coaches back when flow swimming was around and that being my, in charge of my, and not having to go sit in an office or have meetings with whatever, say that you might in a college situation or, um, you know, if you were working for a board and there might be certain things that would pull you in different directions. Whereas, you know, I could just sit down with a cup of coffee, not even showered yet and watch flow swimming and, and watch it again. And, 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 and that could be how I spent the day or, or whatever. Um, so I, I, I guess my day does vary and it, you know, uh, there's certain times of the year where I'm talking to a lot of college coaches advocating for the kids, you know, going off to college or starting the process. Uh, there's other times when you might be following up with kids that are in college. There might be um, some sort of other networking thing. You know, there's periods of time where I'll spend a lot of time writing practice. There's periods of time where I'll just come up with it on the fly at practice and so it, it, there's a lot of variation. Um, right now, we're not doing mornings. Um, there's times when we are doing mornings, and that that sets you know the day yeah, differently usually. as well too. Um, you you can see that we're you know done a lot of work on that house and and continuing to do so. So um, you're kind of in a good way. You you being here, I had a little break for that for a few days, and and get back to that uh, next week. Um, you guys did a great job, by the way. Uh, thank you, thank you. And I, I guess I, I don't think I told you this. I might have told Christy, but uh, when when Elizabeth walked in yesterday and the way she reacted to the house, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. is the way I felt. She just did a much better job uh, expressing it <laughs> yeah, as she, she does. She's very good at expressing. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it looks it looks great here. Cool, thank you. Um, <laughs> you mentioned writing workouts again. I do know the answer to this question, but I I think it's cool to to go over. Uh, you were a notepad guy, not a oh yeah 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 not yeah, a no, software. No. Not a... I I and, and you know I'm 50, so I'm not that that old. Uh, but I really never embraced the technology, and and I think a lot of that actually goes back to learning disability stuff. So the um, to me, writing a workout on a like if I had to, I think I would stop coaching. I would just not <laughs> enjoy that. Whereas I actually the kind of the artist brain in me. I enjoy the doodling on the pad as I'm thinking of the what we want to do, and then I cross this out, add this, change that, and I actually also really enjoy the math of it. And I'm, I think the computer would just do the math. I don't that would that would ruin that would take some of the fun away too. I, I and I I pride myself in that the rounds come back, you know. So if we do three rounds of something, it usually ends back up at the sixty. And okay. I, I don't know. I just I like the, the puzzle of that, the, or the the symmetry of it, or whatever. Um, so yeah, yeah. yeah How do you? So I, I guess it, I guess it was already doing it at a computer, like a, just a word document, which probably not the same. The pen to paper does feel different. Yeah. Uh, I kind of switched to software for a long time there, and now I haven't been coaching for for a couple of weeks. But yeah. uh, I switched to software because I wanted to make sure that I was. Uh, time-wise that I was right. You say you do the math, right, but so there's more to it to kind of making sure it fits. Do, do you have like a... I almost now have a sense of it. So 
and and this is another thing that like I'll you know bang on my chest out of pride kind of thing like like even if I'm so let's say we have a meeting and the kids help it go longer than it was intended and which I think is a great thing as long as it doesn't happen all the time but right. it's it's a great morale thing and they're so proud of themselves if they get me on a tangent <laughs> and uh, which is not hard to do and but then so let's say there's like 67 minutes left somehow I'm able to write a set and it's basically 67 minutes and and it, like I as I'm writing it I'm doing a little bit of math but I can't really do the math that Greg can do the math like he'll be standing over my shoulder yelling out total time as we go Greg in this case uh, Greg, Greg my assistant coach Greg coach. Greg Gillette a, yeah. a phenomenal uh coach and and great asset to the club um but uh uh you know, and, and but I'll even surprise myself sometimes too. Where afterwards it's like, oh my god, that's sixty-five minutes. That was amazing. That was awesome. right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and do you um, you ride day to day, right? You do, do you, or do you ride more than one workout at a time? I rarely ever write, and and I whether it's complacency or laziness or just what um, I'm writing ahead of time, less and less and less. Um, you were here, so I did a little more writing ahead of time because I knew we'd be talking, oh, and that yeah. was going to take away the moment that I was going to be coming up with the set. So, um, you know, I wanted to show off a little bit. But, <laughs> um, but uh, writing – so here's a, here's a f failure that uh, I was able to learn from and move forward. So when, when Elizabeth first made World Championships – from the Pampax in 06 and then worlds were going to be basically the next year i think the next spring and she was going to go to australia for i think almost a month she was going to be gone and so there was a camp and and then the competition and she wasn't swimming until the last day of the competition and so, you know, talking to the coaches, actually John Collins was the head women's coach. And um, basically, you know, they said you, you need to send along a program for her to do. So I wrote every single practice, every session, da, 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 da. And that was so out of my wheelhouse that I did a horrible job preparing her for that event because I'm, you know, I would have never done that if I was there. I would have come up with it day of, night before maybe, tweaked it on how she looked and whatever and whatever. Yeah. And I, 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 I think I just assumed that they would just coach her. Okay. And that's what I wanted. I, like it was a staff of great coaches and my ego or my feelings would not have been bent out of shape if they took what I sent her with and threw it out the window and just – coached her right but out of respect for me and kind of respect of the process they gave her every single thing that i wrote down and, and she was so good there was no you know she wasn't going to complain about a single thing so she was going to do everything that was given to her as well and i got i'm this is awful but i, I think there was even like a six thousand back strap during that like three-week camp leading up to the world championships what a <laughs> jerk well she did it and everyone thought it was so like she was so awesome that she didn't skip a beat or complain or whatever but it, it she did not have a success me <laughs> 
Yeah. So I, I uh, and it actually was Paul Yetter. I had, I think Liz Pelton while she was swimming with him at something, maybe it must have been a junior team meet. And Paul wasn't on staff that particular time. And no, actually it was national team. It wasn't junior team. It was like worlds or something. It was, but Liz was in my group and Paul gave me two pieces of paper. One of them kind of had like a calendar and like a little code with, it was a handmade calendar and, and like a little code in each, each day. And then another piece of paper that had like four or five sets and basically all I had to do, and they were short sets. They were just performance sets. He didn't care about like warmer up with everybody else. Like what, what, you know, how many different warm, like you're not going to hurt her at warm up. Yeah. Uh, warmer up with everybody else and keep her with everybody else. But every third day or whatever, he wanted a specific so, thing, but it was short and easy to follow and really easy. So that's where a guy that had been there knows how the camp is going to be set up, knows what the co- the staff coaches are going to be faced with, which is I'm going to have seven to nine athletes. So they're doing it a little bit different now, but this is the way it was. I had seven to nine athletes, kind of similar events, but this particular year I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, I have the Island of Misfit Toys. Like every other group made sense, and I had all the other – I had Elizabeth and all the people that didn't fit in any in of the, the other, other groups. groups. <laughs> and so it was the Island of Misfit Toys, and but, but Paul – just in giving me those two papers taught me so much. It was so much easier and better than what I had tried to do. I, and I actually have asked Paul, and I, I don't think anything's ever, but I, I feel like that should be, like everybody that puts a kid on a team for the first time, they should get a quick tutorial from Paul Yetter um, on, on this is how to you know send your athlete off with what they need, right? but in but a way that the staff coaches can actually can, give it to them. Yeah. And, and, also trust the staff. The staff oh, is there for a reason. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, yeah. Good. Uh, I mean, I, the, the, you're never not like, going to have a good coach yeah, on that staff. And, right? and it's, it's kind of like you said. I mean, they're they are seeing what's going on day to day. Because I what I've seen here, too, is on a day to day basis when you're when you're writing workouts, you're going like, oh, they look like this today. So I'm going to adjust tomorrow. And, I'm, and when you're sending an athlete to a camp like that and you're not there, you right. really it's it's you're you're literally blind. Yeah. I, I, I think there, there definitely are coaches that are more scientific and I'm going to say a lot smarter than me <laughs> that, that, uh, that probably do have a much more rigid plan all the time. And, and then probably going away from that is not going to work for that athlete. And they kind of have to keep with that. Um, and it is important. Uh, and I learned this from, from Schoberg, It's tremendously important that the staff coaches on those trips do right by the athlete and the coach at home that they're working with. Right. I mean, it's, it's such an honor and a privilege to be in that situation. Oh, yes. And, and yet all of us ego wise at one moment or another probably think, Oh, it would be better if we did this. Right. And, but yet that's one, it's probably not, or might be, but who cares? And two, that's really not honoring the the system that got them here. Right. Um, so I, I think it's, it, but but helping to educate the person the first time or the first couple of times because you don't you don't know what you don't know, right? right and there's yeah. it, 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 that's especially like I can think of like you mentioned if you haven't been at the situation, haven't never been. You have no camp, idea. Yeah. Um, we we talked about your art, talk about your cooking, about your uh, uh, interesting gastronomy. 
So many other interests, but if you were to give a presentation or maybe say teach a college course on something other than swimming, huh. what do you think that would be? <laughs> I, uh, it, it would either be art or, or, or cooking. Um, I've actually a couple of times taught the swimmers a little bit about cooking with varying successes, right? <laughs> like it's, it's a little bit silly. Uh, there, there was one time years ago, but I even brought in like a hot plate and it, it was, I think there was a period of time where there was a lot of questions about nutrition and different things and, and not at all that I'm any kind of expert on nutrition, but I have a sense of like, you know, how to eat healthy basically. And so I was trying to share with them kind of creative ways that they could work for themselves. And also I, I think when kids go off to college, they should know how to cook something. And and by the time they're done with college, they absolutely, and you know, when you read those lists of like, you know, I don't even know what it's called, but it's like 50 things. And, and, you know, one of them is like, you know, know how to make one thing really well right yeah. like it's just a, it's something in your repertoire that that you, you know you might find yourself somewhere and if you can do this it's going to be really appreciated or really valuable to whatever and and so i i think that i think that everyone should know how to scramble eggs <laughs> right like i just think yeah. that you, you absolutely um and I guess with like art history is not something I'm strong with, but just because I did actually teach art. Um, oh, when when I when I uh, took the high school job after uh, coming back from Seattle, um, so I'm I'm coaching the high school team, I'm coaching a rec team, and I started a U.S. team, and that was the team that people paid me with produce from their garden in lieu of, uh, and, and I was certainly not a business person, but fortunately we were, I was able to swim for free. Like I didn't have to pay pool rent. Okay. So that was awesome. But I, I was making nothing. I, I think I made like 2000 a year, like, wow. like nothing. And, but being very creative with where I was living, I lived in a church rectory for free. The priest had been kicked out and the the rectory which is the home that connects to the church for the priest was empty and and one of the people that was on my club team high school team and rec team uh they were involved in the church and they approached the church and said you know it'd be better we we have a year till we get our next priest that's gonna be live in so it'd be a lot better to have this place lived in we have to pay for the heat and electricity anyway so this guy's a good guy. He's got no money. So it was a mansion that I lived in and, and I ended up renting out and they, they okayed it, but I rented out a bedroom. So I even made so a made few money. bucks. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was, it was great actually. But um, at this high school, the gym teacher I had become friends with, she happened to have been an Olympic rower. And I had dated a woman that was very involved in USA Rowing who knew the some of her teammates. that, And so we kind of connected. And she had a surgery that had her out for a long period of time. So I ended up being a um, almost like a permanent substitute teacher for her. And that went pretty good. And, and then the, something happened with the art teacher. And literally the, the uh, principal came to me with my resume in his hand and said, says here you were an art major you want to teach art class and I was like 
Sure. Yeah. And, and I guess in Mass, you don't have to have a teaching certificate for the first three years. It may be different now, but then, and, and it wasn't, uh, that area wasn't like, like today you'd never get a job like that. But uh, I was in the right place at the right time. So all of a sudden I was a permanent sub art teacher and a permanent sub gym teacher. And now I, now I was making a few bucks. It was great. That's awesome. Uh, do you, uh, I guess, plenty of hobbies already. Do you have any other hobbies outside some of those that we, that we talked about? I mean, um, probably not. Um, I mean, every now and then I like building something that that's more on the art kind of end of things. Um, I like to travel. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like, I mean, and I ask those questions cause I yeah. like, I think it's good for people to hear coaches talking about other things. Other yeah, things for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can talk about other stuff probably more than swimming. Actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one topic that I kind of asked a lot of people about, uh, and I don't know how much hiring you've had to do in the past, but about hiring coaches. Yeah. And uh, do you have, a, if you, if you are looking for a coach, do, do you have a system that you go? Is there announcing versus going after somebody that you know already? Or I, I think, um, Yeah, we keep trying to offer get you get you here. Yeah, um, but uh, uh, it it has definitely been one of the more, if not the most, and it's not the most, but one of the more challenging aspects to owning and running Bluefish. And neither Christy or I uh, took a business class or, or studied any type of administration or so so everything has been uh either whatever was our common sense or just flying by the seat of our pants and and you know at least recognizing we have to do x so let's do x and and uh we've had great people um they haven't all been the best coach fits for the program or i would even say coach fits for probably i wouldn't even say christy i would say my coaching <laughs> style and uh so for the first years um went through a coach a year or coach every two years kind of thing which i which i think is good and bad um and and trying to find people that can work within my you know strengths and weaknesses right like um there's a very good chance I'm going to show up late sometimes. The coach is going to have to be okay with that. And they kind of have and to not be late because, because if I'm late, I'm paying you. You, you know, someone has to be there. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> um, and be ready to get started. Right, I guess. right. And, and be, be able to, um, you know, not be a deer in the headlights, but be able to say, okay, you know, this is, this is what we're going to start out with. And if, if, you know, Chuck gets here and it changes, well, that's so be it. Or, or, no, this is great. This is what we're doing today then yeah. or whatever. Um, to, you know, them also having a lot of freedom, right? Like like basically any time a coach asks for a day off or a couple of days off or, or something, you know, we just say yes and we'll figure it out. Like I'm, I'm not at all interested in making anybody do anything that they don't want to do at that particular moment. And I, and I want people to have at least as close to the lives that they possibly can. I mean, I, I recognize we're not paying them, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and things like that. So uh, quality of life is really important. So it just uh, early on, um, 
you know, in some cases, you'd have someone that wanted to move on and maybe be a college coach or, or something. Um, but in a way, like, you know, bringing them in for just six months, well, that sucked, right? Like, yeah, that, you know, they might have been great, but but that it you're you know, spending more time disruptive and, and kind of. Uh, but I get it too, and I'm and I'm thrilled. And I'm actually thinking one person, and, and he's an awesome coach, an awesome guy. Would have loved to have had him stay with us for longer, but he followed what he really wanted to do, and and there wasn't like a whole lot of pretense up front. Like we didn't think he was going to stay with us forever or anything like that. But I think, uh, as you know, so right now, Greg is on the third time working with us. Which is great. I mean, he know this third time for sure. He knew exactly, and he's become incredible in. So, say you were to take a job with us, I would have you spend more time with him than me because he's actually better at telling you what I'm like than I am at telling you what I'm like, <laughs> and and so that so he's really really valuable in that sense. Um, Ryan, who you didn't get to spend as much time with, but is a phenomenal coach, you know, he's taken an athlete to Olympic trials, uh, in his own right. Um, but is our age group coach, uh, as, as well as Christy. And, um, he's now been with us. It's gotta be coming up on 10 years. I, I, I'm not, I feel bad. I don't know exactly how long we should probably have a party or something, but, uh, but now having a group of coaches f- f- consistent for a long time has really helped the program overall. Um, and created a lot less stress and chaos for Christy and I, and so so staffing is so important. But all, I I don't I don't even know the advice to give people because, um, you know the everyone that we've hired, basically I treated like the best scenarios whenever I was looking at a job. So you know back to the woman that kind of connected us, Tammy, who did work for us for many years. I. I least five six years i think you know we had her out we spent a weekend with her so a big part of it for me is is the relationship that we're going to have with this person that we're going to spend a lot of time with right so yeah. that almost takes precedence over coaching chops um you know anyone can learn how to coach i think and and personality and the, their ability to work and understand kids and then also have them in the right age group um we've had some people that struggled with the older kids, and that might be what they want to do or think they want to do, but they're really, really good with the younger kids or even vice versa. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, staffing is tough. I, I, you can't be lazy. You can't just take the path of least resistance. You know, you, you get 20 resumes. You got to read through them. You got to make the phone calls. You got to call the, the references. And obviously not – just today, but today there's a lot of rules in place, but you have to make sure that everything is vetted and, and that you're not bringing in somebody that maybe is dishonest and, and any, you know, and especially owning the team. Like, uh, I mean, God forbid something happened on us, you know, bringing someone in that was not the yeah, right person. Not, that, yeah. that would just be awful. And, and, you know, it happens. It's, it's right. But you do everything possible to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. If you, um, I guess the other question kind of related or still related to staffing is if you had unlimited money to spend Mm. on staff development or professional Mm. development, any idea how you would use that? Hmm. Well, um, I, I think giving your staff as many opportunities as possible. And so certainly 
we've taken advantage of not just me, some of the other coaches going to different summits and camps and select camp and different things that, you know, maybe at one point I'm actually the coach of record when that kid makes select camp at the moment, but probably be more valuable or, or more valuable for the club to have the coach that coached them the last three years go to the, that seminar, that clinic. Um, so that, that, that stuff we're doing. Um, I mean, we haven't spent a ton of money on coach development per se. However, we'd be willing to, you know, if, um, ask is always tough cause that's when we're really getting going. So, but it, it would be neat to kind of take the whole staff to an ASCA convention and and almost even, you know, have conversations like this after a talk or something to to see what everyone's thinking. And, and um, I, I actually have a um, an idea that I've never put into place, and I really could, but like flip-flopping with another coach. So... I used to think about this when, with Brian Brown when, when he was at Agua. So, you know, a couple of benefits. So he was in New York City. And for me, I don't particularly want to live in New York City. But going to, um, you know, spend a week in New York and coach his athletes for a week and have him, you know, so, so Christy and I go to New York. So it's like a little vacation almost right like we're in new york city the big city you know maybe we go see a play or or eat out at some you know you know michelin star restaurants or whatever and and kind of getting a little bit um rejuvenated by coaching a different set of of kids but that a group that's pretty similar to the group that i would have back at home so this was even back with elizabeth thinking about doing this and brian had leah neal and um, you know, a whole slew of, of top, at least junior team level and, and up kids. And, um, but also from a mental health standpoint, right? Sometimes you get a little frustrated with your families or, or whatever, and, and you just, you're, you're just tired of fighting, right? Because you, you have to fight yeah. the good fight. You have to fight because um, it's important. And, but so, you know, if Brian came up here to Rhode Island, you know, say on a day like today and his wife and he could stay in our house and that could be kind of a vacation type thing for them. And then my kids would get a different but really valuable experience. He would learn from them, right? Like he would get a very clear picture, coach my group for one week. You're going to know me more than sitting down and talking to me, right, as a coach. I get, yeah. And me the same with his kids the the other value like the athletes would i'm sure appreciate some of the differences but they'd probably miss brian and they'd probably miss chuck you know because things are different and not what they are comfortable with so there'd be you know great we got a substitute awful we got a substitute we want our coach back i I think there'd be and I, i think coaches should do that uh, you probably would would be better off with somewhat like-minded situations so there's not disruption, right? You know, all of a sudden we're just doing race pace, yeah, you know, <laughs> whatever, which still could be actually really valuable. I, yeah. I, I, as I think about it, maybe actually going with something totally different 
could be really valuable. Yeah, you, know, you wouldn't want the coach, you know, saying to your kids, "You're doing yeah. it all wrong. Yeah, you need to do it this way." But someone who who just you know re- saw the value in both sides, but did it differently, could be valuable. Um, I, I don't I think maybe we'll maybe this will kick off something like that. I think <laughs> I, I think a lot of coaches could benefit from that. Absolutely, yeah. Just exchanging information, exchanging yeah. information with other coaches. Um, have you? I mean, like, you you mentioned the switching out to a four-lane pool, yeah. which is obviously a forced change in, in sure. setup. Yeah. Besides that, can you think about any kind of major change in, in training that you have uh, enacted recently or uh. some some things you've been doing differently? There, there are definitely periods of time where I go through some changes. Um, and, you know, it's, it's on one hand, it's hard to walk away from what has worked. But then if we just keep doing the same stuff, we're not really going to get any better, right? So it's kind of safe, like, okay, we were good doing it this way. I don't want a chance being bad, so I'm just going to be happy with good. Well, no, I'm not really just happy with being good. I want to uh, at least feel like I'm progressing in some way. Um, I fortunately can look back through my whole career and and pretty honestly say that every year has been better than the previous year. Now, Elizabeth threw some things out of whack on that, right? Like, so um, I've not been to the Olympics, you know, since Elizabeth. So so certainly that has not better. And, and there was some really, really great swimmers that I had the privilege to work with, Laura Sogar, Alex Forrester, um, you know, a whole bunch of them in, in over the years. So some of the top, top performances have not necessarily gotten better. But I think some team culture, overall team, top to bottom, things like that, really have progressed. And you have to evolve and change up with that. Uh, I, I mean, every coach would talk about this, but I, I see significant differences in kids' attention span. Just, I mean, Elizabeth used to be what I would have considered having a short attention span. And reality, her attention span compared to kids today, just the average kid today, was was she could. And, and so I've had to modify the I used to often do, you know, people talk about what's the main set today. We, we would just do one set. <laughs> You'd show up. There'd be no warm up. It, you know, basically the first whatever would be your opportunity to loosen up a little bit. And we're in it going and if the practice was two and a half hours, the set was two and a half hours. It was three rounds. It's always three rounds, almost always. Um, and uh, that 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 was, and I I have whenever I try to do that now, no matter what, by the third round they have checked out. It's boring. We've done this. I'm not, you know, and so the so I stopped doing that because I don't. It's not, not interesting. It's anymore, not effective yeah. at all. Um, and and there's you know there's certain there's a lot of things that I like doing that are valuable and you cannot do them all well because you just don't have enough time. So um, you know we, we do paddle fin more than just straight up pulling. Although I'm coming back a little bit to pulling because we haven't really pulled in a long time and I think there's a lot of value in pulling. Um, the we I think the last time you visited we were doing a lot of what I called max heart rate 100s and that was a roundabout way but kind of from Australia roundabout way to me and then my tweak on it um 
now we're really do we're basically hitting the same energy system, but we're doing Dan Flax version where they go a 75 race, 25 smooth and some variation of that. So those are the kinds of changes. Um, our dry land is a little bit different right now because of necessity, but I want to get back to some of the dry land we were doing. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of ways that you can help kids get faster, especially kids. Um, you know, it's, it, I've had the unique experience of working with some athletes that were already at the top, you know, top, top three or four in the world. Right. And then you're just really trying to get them on the next team and to win a medal. Right. And, and the best time is huge, but the medal is more important than the best time and preparing them for those events is actually quite different than so so i'm loving this year with a, a group of younger kids that are not there yet and i'm doing different things with them that i believe are going to get them to the level that then i can start to be again a little bit different and and be a little bit more uh, you know if you're thinking utilization and capacity right now we're a lot of capacity and not a whole lot of utilization which the plan will be at some point in all their careers to be a lot more utilization and, and trying to get from from good to really good. And right now we're just trying to get good. Uh, that's that's really interesting, I, I guess, that, that perspective that for the athletes that are in the, at the world stage, the best time is no longer the most important thing. Right? Just, well, it, it, I mean, and, and I, I you still, I mean, with Elizabeth, we still were always trying to get yeah, better. That, yeah. But... There, there did come a period of time where I was a little bit surprised at how much time needed to be spent getting ready rather than getting better. And I, and I think a lot of the top, top athletes and programs that are working with a lot of the top athletes, postgrads and whatnot, um, that's a real struggle. And especially with some of the newer opportunities that have a prize money, and so these, and they're still kids, right? They might be in their 20s, but they're kids and they're trying to make a living. And no matter what living you're making, everybody wants more, right? Like no matter, no matter how much money you make, you want, you want like 20% more than what you <laughs> currently are making. And uh, so the number of times that they have to get ready is increasing, which in, then is going to mean the amount of time that they have to get better, at least the way I look at it, well, is, is a, less. Time is always finite. Right. right? Just, now, getting ready better can be better, right? So you can still get that best time, but I'm not sure the vessel is actually faster and better. You just put a better paint job on it, and it that time got to the wall faster. But they might, you know, whereas I always wanted to be able to spend time getting Elizabeth better as well as get ready. And it, it's, it's not easy. It's anyone can sit back and, and look and critique and, and blah, blah, blah. But if you're really trying to get them better and get ready, it's a tough, difficult, because you, you could, you could screw up on both and then you're really, then you're, then you're really done and you're screwing up on one or the other. Yeah. It's still not a good thing. And I think there's some people that are magnificent, at getting ready, getting them ready. And there's some people that are magnificent at getting better. And the, those that can do both with, with multiple athletes, that's like, 
you know, bow down to, to those guys. That's pretty special. Um, so one kind of last topic, uh, before we kind of close up, uh, that I've trying to trying to reach in all this conversation is, uh, some of the challenges of making coaching a profession. I think you kind of mentioned some of this as you were starting. And I think nowadays you, you and Christian, as you mentioned, are in a very different position being, being owners more so the, in terms of the salaries are more so right. than coaches. Uh, uh, so, and I try to make this clear that it's a conversation about the love and passion for swimming, right. but then also mention that yes, there are challenges in, in making coaching a profession. There's, there's going, it's not all, uh, it's not all glory. Right. Right. Uh, and so I don't know if you want to expand on, on some of the challenges sure. with, uh, the time commitment. And I think taking an athlete to that ultimate level, probably more so than anything in terms of weekends spent away and things like that. And, and, uh, time that you had to dedicate away from your family right. to, yeah. to, uh, it, it's, um, and it, this, this could be, you know, eight podcasts in and of <laughs> itself. Um, the, a lot of the, the obstacles and tough things are first of all, coaching kids, for the most part, is not considered a career. It's a hobby. It's it's a parent, uh, you know, volunteering to do the little league team after school for three months. Or and and that's awesome and valuable and tremendous. And and reality, they should be compensated for that. Uh, but quite often, it's it's a successful person in their in their business career. And they really want to give back, and it probably has a connection to they, you know, maybe that what they've seen offered to their child was subpar, and they want to, you know, offer something that's maybe a little more valuable to to the group. Um, but and, and I think people think it's for the kids, right? Like so, so somehow it should be a charitable type of thing, and and the reality is. What we are doing for these kids is, and I'm biased, and I and someone could argue with me tremendously, but I, I think the value is a, equal to or greater than pretty much anything else in their lives. And and I'm not I'm not trying to say it's more important or valuable than their than their families, but uh, but probably than their math teacher. And I'm not putting down math teaching, yeah. but but reality in terms of what we're teaching about life. I mean, I have gone over with groups of kids how to balance a, a, a checking account, how to, you know, different things that they, if they're not getting it at home, they're not getting it anywhere or relationships, right? Like my first boyfriend or girlfriend and they broke up with me or they, they, they and, and the amount of time that we, and, and, and if, you know, there are times when it's a really bad influence coming from the coach, right? Like just, but those are the horror stories. Yeah. But for the most part, most of us are doing this on a, on a daily basis for, for pennies on the hour. Right. Um, and, and we're really, really good at it. And the benefits that these kids and the families are getting are tremendous. I mean, obviously, if they're getting a scholarship to school, but even if they're not getting a scholarship to school, like, and I always say, my kid, which I don't have, but my kid isn't getting a scholarship to school, right? Your kid Your, is. Yeah. Um, 
the uh, but but the, I'm sure most club coaches are at a minimum helping the kid choose the school or get into the school that without their influence they might not quite get into that school. So that that's huge and you know the whole that whole school system may be changing over the years too but that's a that's a different topic <laughs> but um but i i think just in the you know it's it's very different than that after school little league coach and it's very different than the than the one class 5 days a week for one school year math teacher i mean we're doing this with some kids 4 5 6 years in a row back to back to back to back at least 360 days a year, if not more. And at least in our case and other cases, traveling to different places. Um, and you're 100% correct. It, uh, two summers ago, some people were asked to be on the Junior World's staff. And I know of two coaches that it was their dream to be asked on a staff. They'd had kids at that level a couple of times and they kind of recognized that they were, their coaching chops had gotten them to the point where if, if this next time they get some kids significantly on this team, uh, I'm, I'm as good an option as any at this moment to, to be on the staff. And they were asked to be on the staff and friends of mine and I was so proud and excited for them. And they had to turn it down because their families were not prepared for them to have been away for two weeks already and then go away for another two to three weeks during the time that they were going to be spending with their family. And um, one, I'm so fortunate that my family has, oh, that's never been a, a something that I had to, well, it's not entirely true. The, the late, after I'd been on many staffs, I, I turned down two trips um, that, it just made sense for me to be home and, and I'm glad I did and no regrets. And, and, um, although I, I am bummed, I missed Connor green going like 157 or something in the 200 back, but, um, and, and riding a camel, that would have been cool. But, um, <laughs> but, but to recognize, you know, really probably one of the top career goals for, I can speak more to one because a good friend and and to see the torment of not and doing the right thing right like the last thing he would need is to not have a family anymore right yeah. that's and I, and I don't believe that that would have happened and and good on him for recognizing you know what his family needed at that time and that was so he had to put on hold. What, what what he really, really re- career wise really wanted to do, yeah, and, and that would be another career plus move on my part was literally always saying yes. Um, anytime I've been asked to speak, with exception to extreme conflict, and anytime except uh, I've turned down you down <laughs> twice, but um, but with extreme or, conflict, yeah, it- but but basically never turning down an opportunity like that even if it looked like work, right? But that, you know, when, when I was first asked to speak, I was so nervous and I'd had no experience public speaking. and But I really wanted to do it and I wanted to do a good job. Like I just, I, I wanted, 
I definitely didn't want to come across like I was phoning it in or thought I was above it and didn't have to take it seriously. And, and kind of the fact that I was nervous made me feel like, oh, that's, it's, I'm glad I'm nervous. Yeah. It's, I should be nervous. If, if, I should care. And, um, and I knew my personality was not such that I was going to go take a class. It just that that was not that's not how that that would be a great way to approach it, but I that was not going to do it. So I decided. Well, the other way is if I just need to do this as often as possible. So anytime somebody asks, I'm going to say yes, and I literally say yes, and then I look back and make sure I really can do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, and I so I think I've because I've done it, I've gotten a little bit better. Hopefully, I've gotten better. Um, I I tend to now at least get some responses from the audience when I want to. So it, I figured yeah. that's a little bit better. I just spoke up in Nova Scotia and I think just nature of Canadian, they were so respectful and polite that it was just silence the first talk. And it wasn't until um, they did this really neat thing. I, I'm sharing this on your blog, but they had um, the Saturday night was basically like an LSC. It was Nova Scotia. And so the coaches all kind of knew each other and they had one kind of bigger apartment rented where the coaches would socialize in the evening and, um, you know, bring, bring your own booze or whatever you wanted to drink and, and not, not really a party, but, but a gathering. And, uh, but they had planned this out. So basically after everyone had had a cocktail or two, now they're going to interview me and the other keynote speaker and it totally like I don't watch it that often, but I've seen that show Drunk History, <laughs> and and I was like, this is hilarious, and this you know if we keep drinking, this is gonna get this really, gonna... <laughs> uh, but it was it was fun, um, and now I don't uh, the, um, the <laughs> that's gone. Yeah. I, I love that we got yeah. on the far far away on the right. digression, but uh, the original topic was the the challenges on on. Uh, the coaching as a career. And, oh, and right. Time yeah. Away and... Well, I, and it's, I, I think ultimately the, um, myself and I'm sure hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of coaches, I suspect you were probably exactly the same. When we started, all we wanted to do was coach and it, it, it and we didn't have families yet. We, you know, you know, heck, I, I literally lived in my truck for the first year that I was coaching New England Barracudas. I could not afford to live in the area that, and and I didn't think I should be paid anymore because I believed the rhetoric of, you know, I'm just a swim coach, right? Yeah. Like, and, uh, and it's and, for passion. And, I love and, what I right. do. Right, and, and, and I was, uh, I had already had three athletes make Olympic trials under me, 100%, and now I'm a head senior coach for $20,000 a year. In the modern time, like not not fifty years ago yeah, or something, when, right? Yeah. And like 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 twenty years ago, and um, and thinking I was being paid a fair wage, and the the families I was coaching, and it wasn't their fault; they didn't set the pay scale. But but the families I was coaching, I mean, they were, you know, most of the families were like doctor and lawyer parent, right? Like like it was a lot of that type of families, and. I'm literally sleeping in the back of my truck with my dog in the winter in Boston. Right. And, and happy. The, the one plus was like, how dare you not show up Saturday morning or something like, or be late. <laughs> Cause I slept in my truck to yeah. be here. Right. <laughs> like that was a good, you know, 
Although at the same time, too, is that like some of these families were probably like, uh, I'm not sure I want a guy sleeping in his truck <laughs> working with my kids. But um, so we have to take on the and, and be able to when someone complains and says the, the dues are too much or whatever. No, the, the, and I'm not a fan of, of itemizing for people when they ask for it. Like I'm, I, it's none of your business what we pay for pool rent or, or whatever specifics. But last year, Christy and I spent over $150,000 on pool rent and the property tax that we had on the pool and it's all those things added up and the different pools we were renting and the different, and, and none of that was in my opinion, correct, but that's what we had to pay to run the pools that we were. And from day one, everything that we did was we wanted to hire the best coaches possible, pay them the most that we could and have them be paid enough that they didn't have to get tired doing another job all day and then show up, for for our swimmers a little run tired yeah. and and maybe in a bad mood or whatever we wanted for the for the key people to be professional full-time coaches that could just do right by their kids top to bottom and and maybe maybe you don't like it maybe they're yelling at your kid or whatever but they're that that's what we wanted and then we also wanted to get the best possible pool time and space possible. And then, uh, like I shared with you, when, when we lost the ability to use the track and the weight room and the fitness room at the high school, and we were paying for that, but it was, it was nothing basically. It was like a hundred bucks a month for all three of those things. Um, then we ended up getting, renting a space for like 1200 a month. And it had to be a space that was big enough, had nothing in it, so it was an empty store. And it had been an actual video store, right? Like, so those are gone. Yeah. And and it, but it also had to be close enough that the kids could walk from it to the pool, because we couldn't waste time, and there'd be kids that couldn't drive. And I didn't want a parent to have to sit for the hour of dry land and to then, then drive them yeah. to the pool. That that just didn't make any sense. So we we found this place, and and it was. But we spent $15,000 a year on top of every, And we didn't raise dues when we did that. You know, it just came out of what Christy and I, and we weren't going to not pay our coaches. So it just came out of what, what and, and you know, people are like, well, you're, you're more expensive than those people down the road. Well, yeah. And we should be a lot more expensive because all of our coaches, you know, we should not potentially be losing a coach because we're not paying them as much as they could get as a head coach somewhere else. Yeah. Or because of they could get as a starting position in any other profession. Right, in any other profession, right. Uh, yeah. And that's why I, that's one of the reasons I bring this up. And teachers do don't make enough money either, so the whole culture is upside down on this, right? Right. But even but even when you compare with teachers, <laughs> right, coaching right. salary oh, is still... Yeah. That's, well, they, they got organized a long time ago. Yeah. We have not, and we need to, That's uh, yeah, and I, that could help. Right, and that's one of the things that I bring in that it's kind of like you started this portion is, yes, we love what we do, and we do it for passion, but it's okay to be a professional as well. Right, and we we really do a good service. Right. I mean, it, it's uh, from... from it, it, the kids don't have to make the Olympics... They don't even have to make the 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 LSC senior level 
to reap the benefits of what we are bringing to the table every single day for years. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, there's a huge value and, and people recognize that, but it's just the, 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 the thought process, the mind, you know, what they would, what they would pay for an SAT tutor for, for a month is quite often as much or more than what they pay for a year of swimming competitively. And reality 100 points, which doesn't happen from the class, but a 100-point improvement on the SAT versus two seconds faster and a 200 free, The two seconds is far more valuable to college admittance yeah. than the 100 points on the SAT. Which, kind of moving on, but you brought back into college and you had mentioned before, and I forgot to ask it, uh, so this might be the, the last big topic. Uh, you mentioned how much you get together or you, you help your kids getting into college. So uh, can you just give a little bit of an overview in terms of like how involved you get? And uh... I try to meet and, and the whole college process keeps changing, which is frustrating because at the moment I don't really even know, like I'm diabolically opposed to kids picking where they're going to go to school in their sophomore year. But at the same time, especially if you've got a kid potentially going to get scholarship, if you wait too long, there might not be any scholarship where they want to go. So I, I hope that that gets back in check. Um, but basically what I have done is tried to, and and regretfully it hasn't happened 100%, but try to meet with every junior and their family some point during their junior year. And, uh, you know, the first time meeting, really go broad strokes, like just start. And what I found too is for some reason, a lot of the kids, at least a lot of the kids that I'm working with, initially don't want to talk to mom and dad about it like they they feel like they want it to be theirs and they they're almost embarrassed to talk to their parents about it when in reality their their parents are their you know if anyone is going to help them with the process right some of the minutiae of it that's going to be time consuming but not it's important it's necessary but it's not really important and it's it's mom or dad who will really help with that stuff yeah so they i the first thing i do is like stop putting your hand up because I did the same thing and it was idiotic because I had my mother and sister like just waiting to help me and I'm saying no 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 I don't want your help meanwhile I'm not doing the stuff that they would have done so it was just stupid to not let them help me so you know tell the kids like you know yeah no your parents aren't going to pick where you go to school but especially if they're going to be paying for it they they And they, their parents, they need to be part of the process. Right. And, and kind of, you know, do you want a big school? Do you want a small school? Do you want to be three hours, within three hours from home? Do you want to be further than three hours from home? Do you want to go to the West Coast? Do you, you know, do you want to be the best swimmer on the team? Do you want to be the worst swimmer? Do you even want to swim in college, right? Do you want to be in a city? Do you want to be rural? So those kind of broad stroke questions. And then you start to put things together and, kind of ascertain if what their academic profile is like 
um, get a sense of what maybe they might want to do for the rest of their lives. You know, no one really ever knows, but some kids have a sense of it. So you certainly don't want to steer them to a school that might not offer what they might want to do. I often also, you know, get leery of kids going places that are so specific in one direction that if they change their mind halfway through that, then they're faced with that. They can't even study what now they think they might want to study. Um, and uh, get them to put like a resume together. And part of this just really organizes them, but because I'm not sure the coaches value it as much as I think they might, but basically the top quarter is, is just kind of like vitals. You know, I, I, this is my name. I swim for bluefish, my Chuck's information, some critical academic information, SAT score, ACT if they take it, class rank if it's given at the school, GPA if it's given at the school. Um, you know, tell them to always be honest, but also always put yourself in the best light. So, so if you can say I'm top ten percent, that's great. If if it's top twenty percent, that's still great. You know, and don't say top ten percent if it's really eighteenth percent, but top twenty percent still sounds pretty good. And then basically the rest, uh, swimming information, and and do not put you know. Uh, won the spelling bee in fifth grade and, and that kind of stuff. And I kind of tell, I'm like, look, imagine you're sending this to me. I need to know whether you're admissible or not. So that, that crucial academic basic information tells me, you know, as a coach at a school, no matter how bad I want this kid, they're not going to get in. Or if I support them, they will easily get in. So, you know, I'm going to keep this in this pile. And, and then, you know, and I tell them again, you, know, you have to, especially today, they can look up anytime. So be a hundred percent honest, but always put yourself in the best light. Have you improved a lot over the last three years? Yes. Show a progression that will look great. Have you been stagnant in the last three years? Yes. Oh, do not show a progression. Just show <laughs> your best times. Um, and, and then a quick little bit about, you know, what you're looking for. And, and they're going to send this to maybe 20 schools and maybe only five of them are the really key schools. So those five put something personal. The other 15 just, just you know, don't don't kill yourself. You got a lot to do. But, but those top five maybe, you know, oh, uh, I'm sending it to Texas uh, you know, and, you know, Eddie, my, my goal is to, to be on the NC2A winning relay, blah, 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 and, and show that you know something about it and that you really want to be a part of it. And they send that off. They fill out the questionnaires. And, and then we, you know, then, then I, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, if they're going to send it to 20 schools, I'm not going to talk to 20 coaches, but I'm going to talk to, five or six coaches. So let's figure out what that looks like. And sometimes it's initially, well, I, th I think you're a good fit for these guys, but let's see how they feel. Um, are they in line for a scholarship? Are they? And I try to do that. I think that's one. I think sometimes parents can really screw it up. If they come across like they think their kid deserves oh, yeah. something <laughs> that's going to turn off the coach. Yeah. Um, so I, I often, offer if money is potentially going to be part of the conversation i offer to help with that um because of course i'm going to try to get them as much as possible right. but try not to offend anybody in doing right. so so you do 
you take initiative in contacting some of those coaches. Yeah, yeah, and, and especially if it's a coach I have a relationship with, which I have spent a lot of my career building those relationships. So I have, you know, it, it's um, when I have a group of athletes that go to a lot of the Grand Prix and stuff for a couple of years, like they got good at sophomore and, and they we're on that path kind of thing. One of the things that they have to deal with is that quite often they're going to be waiting for me after a session because I'm talking with several people on deck before I get back to them to take them to wherever. And the second they complain about it, I'm like, look, I am building is- the opportunity for you to maybe go to Cal or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a tiny inconvenience right, right, with, with right. the potential. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool because I don't know that every club coach. No, does. I, I, I think some shy away from it. I have, um, I mean, I, 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 a couple of things I have recognized. Um, sometimes the school I really think they should go to becomes the school they end up not going to and potentially the sense that they've gotten from me has actually tainted it. And I don't think it's conscious. I mean, maybe sometimes it is, but I think most of the time it's not. Um, I, I think I can't help but be honest with them. And so sometimes that, but I really, it, it should not, I want to help them make the best decision for them. And I pride myself on when it really works out well, swimming wise, academic wise, life wise, it's just a great fit. But I, I would never want to be a part of them going to the wrong fit, right? And be like, why did you send me there? Yeah. Well, I, I didn't, you know. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's it, you know, we, we do have, as I said, we have a very important role and, and valuable. But, yeah, constantly have to recognize that it's with that power, you, you, you got to be careful. It's, it's um I want them, even if it's a mistake, they need to make that mistake. It, it needs to be their mistake. I, I cannot. I, Elizabeth was a little bit different. Um, I really felt that Florida and Cal were the only two options for her, and they were completely opposite options. But they were two coaches that I knew uh, – absolutely that from a human standpoint they were going to make sure that Elizabeth was okay as an athlete as a human and that they were going to be as tough as they needed to be at any given moment which I knew she was going to need at some times and they were going to be as as uh much a partner with her and me as they needed at any given point. And so even though the, the nuts and bolts of the day to day was going to be quite different, I knew the discipline and the, and the, the kind of the eye on the prize. And I'm not saying that there weren't other coaches out there that would and could do that, but at least for me and knowing as Elizabeth, as well as I did, I felt that that was, and, and Greg was the easy, obvious choice, especially when the next Olympics was coming up within two years because it was going to be very similar to what she was already doing. It was going to be enough different and add-ons that she could continue to grow and be successful, but it was going to be where, whereas Cal was going to be very different 
and so the the unknown variables were were a little risk, a little more risky. And there were some other places she looked that were great, great options, but for different people in different situations. Um, you know, uh, I, I I thought and think the world of Kim Bracken, um, and and think she's an amazing coach and an amazing human being, and and was blown away watching her work with Christy Coventry at 2009 Worlds when the meet started out poorly for her and uh, was so fortunate to literally be standing right there when she had a very real conversation with Christy and and turned it around. And and she ended up, uh, I don't know if she was swimming the meet, but she had an amazing medal-winning meet after starting really, really poorly after a great Olympics. And so I, but, but it, that was not going to be the right fit for Elizabeth. Um, yeah, I think it was a great fit for some other athletes, but it, that was, that was just for some variables that was going to be tough. Um, so in her case, I wasn't afraid and she knew Florida was what I thought. And, and, and she was on the same page. So it worked out all right. Yeah, yes, yes <laughs> it did. It, it worked out yeah, um, very well. Wouldn't wouldn't change it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I guess uh, just worth mentioning because until you told me this week, it had never dawned on me, but uh, you said from oh, from uh, 13, oh, when yeah. was it, yep. 06? Yep, 06. When, yep. Until her... Until the, the last uh, Olympics. Um, she made she every made... single and not no one else uh really even came close to that in that time frame male or female um make, which is that, and i mean certainly uh you know some some uh pan pack gold medals some world gold medals um almost an olympic gold medal pretty pretty impressive career three olympics in it's a, a it's row a, i mean it's it's a long um, time span that's there's, there's a reason why nobody else Stay right. at the top it's, of their game it, yeah. for that long, and she yep. she did. She never never took a break. Never, uh, it, it, she loved it. It, it wasn't. Uh, um, I think it was it was a little bit harder once she was done with collegiate swimming, um, especially the very next year was was a little bit of a struggle, kind of figuring all of that out, which I think you see often, right? That that first year uh, seems to be very difficult for a lot of kids. And, um, but yeah, but yeah, you, you got to see firsthand, uh, I mean, what, what you saw last night was every day, right? <laughs> like it just was, and, and that, that was the thing too, as you know, obviously there were a lot of challenges with coaching her and certainly a lot, like once she had success, then, you know, especially locally, the second, if she wasn't to have success, I mean, that there were people waiting around for that. Like that was, which is really sad, but, but unfortunately true. Um, but there were certain aspects that were just so easy, you know, every single day without question for five years, hundred percent, I'm not exaggerating a smidgen. I knew she was going to be at practice and she was, there was not a single time. There were, there were some days that she wasn't there, but I knew about it well in advance between her and her mom. And was always given an opportunity and welcomed the opportunity to set up an alternative if I felt it was necessary. And so 
there were and, and we had a lot of access at the pool at the time which was you know knock on wood that 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 time we had that yeah. that situation so i could come in early with her i could stay later with her i could and we could do whatever we needed to do and then the very few things that she had in her life that were conflicting and and violin was one of them so if if she had a violin concert on a saturday that was a big deal and she was going to miss practice I knew about it three months, was reminded two months, was reminded one month, and you know probably every couple of days leading up to it. So there was never a, a oh my god I forgot or or something like that. And and we could set up anything, and then her family would do whatever necessary to make that other scenario work. And I mean that I've never I've had really close to that, but I've never had you know. There was never a time that I was at the pool expecting her to be there and she wasn't there. That's yeah. like, can you imagine that? Yeah, that is for five years. Pretty amazing. She never got sick. There's that too. Yeah. Never got. She didn't get sick till she got to college and had extracurricular activities that you know cut into sleep and and whatnot. But orange juice, <laughs> gallon of orange juice a day. Yeah. Uh, only two more questions here. Uh, if you could pick three skills or qualities uh, from for your athletes that go through a program to have, uh, what would those be? Three. Um, I'd say the first one is kind of their, their. You know, I, I guess I'll I'll steal from Carol Dweck, but kind of that uh, growth mindset. Um, River Wright, who's a freshman at Michigan, every single race afterwards whether it was a good swim, bad swim, best time, horrible swim, all he wanted to know was what he could do better. Did you catch anything? Literally, that's what he would say to me. And funny, like like so casual. <laughs> coach, coach, did you catch anything? What you know, what could and and actually get frustrated with me if I didn't, didn't have anything <laughs> to offer him that he could do better. And and sometimes it was you know, actually me being really frustrated because the thing he could do better was the thing I've told him 365 <laughs> days in practice to do better. So yeah, there was something I caught during that race river, but, uh, but, but, and then good swim or bad swim immediately would say, I'll do better next time and really believe that he would do better next time. And he would do better next time. And if not next time, the next time he would do better. So, so that if, if you can foster that or have that from birth or be raised with that, or if, if we can kind of continue to foster that, uh, that becomes someone that just can't not be successful. Like they, they may be small and they may have small hands or they may not have a feel for the water or whatever, but if they've got that mind, they're going to improve. When we've had some other kids like that, we, we had a boy – Ended up going to BU on a full ride. and um, But I think even through age 14, didn't even have an age group cut. Like an LSC, age, like was below that standard. But he'd started swimming when he was like eight. But he just, and had such the mindset that he would do better next time. And, and great parents. I, I got to know his dad really well. And... Um, you watch the kids. He, he was tall, so he had that going for him, but not athletic. And watching him swim, 
was not a pleasing experience. <laughs> and um, but just heart of gold. When he would have a good swim and a best time, the joy would everybody would be excited, and that continued in his college career. You talk to the college coach, the same experience. But his dad taught him at an early age, and I'm trying to think if I can say it exactly correct, that that hard work beats talent any day when talent doesn't work. And while unfortunately, in reality, that's not 100% true, I mean, we kind of wish it was, but I, but I think in swimming, you, you can ultimately work hard enough. Right. You might have to yeah. work 10 times harder. It might be impossible, but if you did, you hard work beats talent that doesn't work any day so that 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 is number one and uh beyond that um you know the things you don't want or are very difficult to work with are that kids just really don't get the fact that it's supposed to hurt right and that it it, that that's actually okay and a good thing christy and i have a great story wonderful kid uh went two years without missing a single practice and christy had worked with her before i had and I mean, she didn't make it far. She she made the LSC, uh, well, open level, so not even the senior level. So kind of the age group level at, at uh, 16, 17, 18. Um, but the first time Christy got her to work hard in a set, she thought she was having a fever. She thought she had a fever because she was red and, and hot. And, and, and we would just always joke and laugh about, like, do you feel like you have a fever? Like, <laughs> like you, you need to feel like you have a fever. Um, and, and I'm finding today there's more and more kids that they'll come to practice every day. They will work hard. They're tired. They're, but they, they, they just won't go. They just can't figure out how to go to give everything. Yeah. That... And, and I mean, I try to come up with, you know, crazy scenarios like, like you need to swim this like you're pulling a basket out of a fire with puppies or babies or your family like like you are saving lives that's the effort that I'm looking for and this is, some kids just don't get it yeah um you know when i was 8 or 9 and i remember riding in the car to practice with my dad and him telling me that it was supposed to hurt and that it was like my job to make it hurt more today than it did yesterday. And I got mad at him. I was like, I thought you loved me, dad. Why would you want me to hurt? That's like awful. And that was literally the conversation we had. I thought you loved me. Like, why would you want something you loved to be in pain? And uh, so I, 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 I wish for every kid that I coach to have had that same conversation with their dad when they were eight, because I, I just think so many of them just, and then it becomes like that, that pain is scary and, and like scary to the point where they think something's wrong. Like I have a fever. So they'll, they'll come to practice every day. They'll, you know, they'll be wet, cold, tired, but they're never actually going there. And, and it's hard to get that across to them, especially by the time they're 15, 16 years old. Um, I'm trying to think of a third thing. Um, I mean, you know, uh, I, I feel for the water, which is kind of a weird, like, unquantifiable thing. But, it, you know, Elizabeth 
especially when she was in high school, um, was by far weaker, smaller, in many cases not quite as fit as the people that she was competing with and beating on the national, international level. Um, but working with her and, and witnessing that this person's stronger and this person's this and this person's this, but yet she's able to swim faster was um, really eye-opening. And, and then trying to figure out, well, you know, what is it that she's doing that, and, and so I think there's a couple of things. One, physicality, um, she, she travels in the water. So however she naturally holds herself and the shape that her body's in, she pushes off the wall and she goes. I remember my own swimming being next to swimmers that were similar to that. And, and I just, I would push off the wall as hard as I could. I would streamline as tight as I could. And people would just travel beyond me. And I, and I, and in my mind, the only, you know, I, I still somewhat operate on the answer is often a bigger hammer. So I just would push harder and I would streamline tighter and, and it would never work. And whereas Elizabeth could just push off the wall and almost be in a comfortable position and just travel. And then also her, I actually think her freestyle was her most natural stroke. We went after the backstroke because it was wide open. You know, the, the 200, 400, 800 free were, were packed with some heavy hitters and then a lot of depth at the time. And the 200 back, I mean, Holcher was in and out, at least seemingly initially. And there was no, it was wide open. No one had been under 210 in you know since natalie did the the time that she swam the 200 back and said i will never swim the 200 back again and the world record had been i think 208 or 207 for 30 years with um edgar zeggy back uh um i want to say in the 70s so that the 200 back was enough but but her freestyle was just poetry and it was like the relationship of body pull you know, body, arms, and kick the, was just so poetic that it, she didn't, once she put some work behind it and some strength behind it, there was no telling how fast she was going to go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking to myself, little do you, did you know what you were starting with that you right. her back because in the U.S. is oh, right, right. really and strong. Well, well, you know, the funny thing is, uh, and I said this to her, the next year, her going that 211 at Nationals in Irvine in 2006, literally to the head. We, I'd love to pull up the video and show you. She hits the pad, makes pan packs With on a head, head touch. <laughs> um, and uh, But I really believe that for whatever reason, we were just stagnant. And her doing that time and not being at all a physical thing that someone felt like they couldn't live up to right like like i'm taller than her i'm more athletic than her i'm stronger than her and she's going to 11 well why can't i go to 11 because that literally opened up the floodgates yeah. basically she went to 11 then everybody went to 11 but prior to that nobody was even breaking 215 yeah. i mean in in 2004 
214 or 215 got eighth at trials. Wow. Yeah. Now, finally, the cut's that, <laughs> right? Um, and, and now it's like, you know, literally 211 is pedestrian. Yeah. Like, you got to be under 210 to, to get a second look. That's pretty awesome. Uh, and I, I think that two minutes is, we're going to see that. Gonna, yeah, we, I mean, we have someone who I think is going to yeah, do it. Yeah, it's um, get, getting pretty close. But I, but I think it's high time. Like, that, if you, just the way I think about it, like, women should have broken two minutes in the 200 back already. That's and two fly, good. I think, is around the corner. Okay. Challenge is thrown. Though. Yeah, right. I right, like right, it. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I have the horse, but, but uh, no, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So last, effectively, last question I, I like asking, and uh, I guess to you I'll ask two separate questions. You can ch pick which one to okay. uh, to answer, which is either uh, what is the most important thing people should know about you, or in your case, because I think people have an idea of who you are, but don't necessarily know you, what is the biggest misconception you think people hmm. have about you? You can pick one of the two. <laughs> um, hmm. Misconception from, uh, from just a nuts and bolts kind of training sense, I, I think people, th and, I, and I'm part of the reason that people think this because early on I, I enjoyed that reputation, but I, I think people think that all we do is grind and do these massive, uh, you know, swims and, and set, you know, huge sets and a hundred grand a week, every week, all the time. Um, so that is not true. Um, we certainly do some of that. And I think there's tremendous value in that type of thing, but I, um, even myself in this day and age, I think the personalities struggle with that more than they did. And in, in reality, I look at my swimming career and I was all about that. Like when I got to UNC and they would, you know, have us once a week do like six 100s off the blocks on six minutes, I'd be pissed because I'd be like, we could do 60, you know, we could do 60 100s on a minute. <laughs> in the same amount of time that you're wasting doing 10 100s off the blocks yeah. on six minutes. and But reality, if I had sunk my teeth into the six 100s on six minutes a lot more than I did, instead of thinking that they were doing me a disservice by wasting that much time with me and and really – was more aggressive on those types of things, I would have been a better swimmer in college. Um, so I, I like to, to try to combine that old school Chuck, if you will, and old school Chris Martin and Dick Schulberg with developing kind of these really tough and I like to say like bulletproof type athletes, but then use that to get them swimming really fast because in order to swim fast, you got to swim fast. And so you got to swim fast. So how are we going to swim fast? Not necessarily by doing 10,000 yards or meters every time you touch the water, um, but doing enough of it so that you've kind of created a, a really efficient athlete and then get some a lot more quality. And so um, we're, we're not 
just volume. It's a, and in reality, the, the big, big volume comes in the fall through Christmas with some spikes of uh, kind of performance preparation. And then almost the rest of the year is almost like tapering off of that till we get to nationals or whatever in the end of the summer. So I think that's probably a misconception. Personally, there's probably quite a few misconceptions, but I'm not going to even go there. <laughs> um, well, I mean, yeah, if, if anybody thinks anything other than you're a fantastic guy, well, that's a misconception. Uh, They're going to hate we... you now, too. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Must be. <laughs> it's for liking somebody else. Uh, anyway, so... Um, I'm going to let you, if you have any, any closing thoughts or any, uh, I don't, but this was enjoyable yeah. and, and having you here was great. Oh, so. thank you. I mean, I, I was going to say, I, I obviously could go days talking and change the stories with you as, as I have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately people don't get to hear all of them, <laughs> but this was awesome. Thank you so much again for, for having me. Thanks for taking the time. This is yeah. great. Cool. Uh, I don't know if, if you want to, if people want to get in touch or anything, or sure. uh, if uh, you have a contact or social you want media, me to say it or, well, yeah, if you want to, uh, I mean, I'm on Facebook, um, I guess just Chuck Batchelor. I'm not really sure how you, I guess you'd guess, find me. Yeah. And then Bluefish has a website, but I don't think I get the messages from that. So that you could contact somebody, but I'm not sure it would go directly to me. Um, I mean, email and, and phone. Do you, do you want me? I don't mind I giving mean, them. If you, uh, it's up to you. So email abfswimscjb at yahoo.com. Probably not the most efficient, and texting is, is very good. Say who you are, but 617-678-0964. All right. Yeah, if you're good. Uh, yeah, Chuck, thanks again. I cannot thank, thank you enough for a great time. That was it for another episode of the Swim Coaching Transit Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. And if you made it to the end, I really hope you enjoyed it. And this time, this outro is going to be a little bit different. And I do have a request that is important if you like this podcast and would like to keep it going. So please stay to the end. I would like to once again thank Chuck for a ridiculously good time in Providence and for sharing so many great stories and insights. If you run into him and have some time to spare, ask him about his experience in Alaska. That's a non-swimming related story I got to hear after the podcast, but one he should write a book about. As always, remember to check out the show notes on my blog, Swim Coach in Transit. That's Swim Coach in Transit, all spelled out together in lowercase with no dashes or special characters. There you can always find links to books, websites, and all other resources we talked about that I could link to as well as notes on the club visits I did while traveling and recording this podcast. And thanks as always to my good friend Madhu for the soundtrack to this podcast. You can also find his Instagram info on the show notes. And also thanks to Zapflat for the sound effects. Now, my usual checkout sentence would be, and that's it, thanks again, and I hope you catch the next one. But at this time, there is no next one. This was the last interview I did while traveling back in the fall of 2019, and the plan was to record a few more in the spring. Just about a week ago, when I was headed to Florida to meet up with Chuck again and a few other coaches, I got into a car accident. Pretty scary stuff, but I'm alright, and I just returned home. The next day, precautionary measures to stop the spread of COVID-19 started to halt swimming and the US. 
and at this time it would not be prudent to travel to do interviews. At the same time, I don't know how long we're going to end up being locked down, and perhaps this might be when this podcast is of most value to other people. So, while I never intended to do long-distance interviews, and at this time I'm not even sure on how to record those, I plan on contacting some people to see if they are interested and available for this type of long-form interview. And my request to everyone listening is, if you know of somebody that would be an interesting guest, and especially if you have a way to put me in touch with him or her, please let me know. If it works out, for as long as normal life is interrupted, I'll try to put some episodes out at a faster rate than usual, if I can. So, now that's it, and I hope there's a next one for you to catch. <laughs>